Hello, everybody. Dr. Carol Francis, and I'm so glad you could join us today on this, <laughs> this series of discussions. It's about integrity and character and the lack thereof and how do we regroom our society and ourselves for really examining uh, when we have character and when we do not and the impact that it has now that we're entering into yet another presidential uh, turning the corner of another presidential uh, election process where we see them saying all sorts of lies, deceptions, inaccuracies. Really? Do we really need to hear this as a society now? Now, I know that in making life happen, we try to stay as positive and optimistic as we can, and we will certainly do so because Ken Owens has written a book called Branding Your Character, which tries to turn the corner of another corner yet, of the inability to maintain a sense of character and integrity. Now, we can point a finger at a lot of people who are not maintaining their character. We can. Integrity is all over the place. We will we will talk about those people. But first, let's look to ourselves. Psychology Today, March 2012, has a very good series of articles online and how we are all inclined to lie. And then we justify ourselves by some rationale or other that enables us to be able to say, okay, it was fine to do that. It was completely within integrity to do that. So think about that for a moment, how completely unrealistic that is. But at the same time, how often have you done it? How many times did you lie last week? White lies, little lies, excuse lies, lie to yourself about what you ate, lie to yourself about what you need to get done and didn't, lie to yourself about how you didn't return an item that you forgot to pay for as you walked out, how many times did you uh, not tip the right amount, or if someone undercharged you, you didn't draw it to their attention. Did you take some pins from some off? I could go on and on. And you and you know, and you absolutely know. So what would it be like for Holy to walk in nothing but your own integrity, your own scrupulous integrity? Think about it for a moment. Unusual. Here, I have a quote for you from David Orr. The planet does not need more successful people, but it does desperately need more peacemakers, healers, restorers, storytellers, and lovers of every shape and form. It needs people who live well in their places. It needs people of moral courage, willing to join the fight to make the world habitable and humane. And these needs have little to do with success as our culture has defined it. And so interestingly enough, and I do have to definitely agree with David Orr on that, and that appears on my Facebook. You're welcome to go to that. That's Dr. Carol Francis' show. It's my Facebook. And spread the news on that particular idea because today's definition of success, if you go to the generation of individuals from ages 15 to 30, is not how hard they work and the outcomes that produce humane results, but how much little work they can get by with to produce financial benefit. And so we measure success by how rich we are, how materialistic we can be, and things of that sort. I'm not really condescending toward money. I think earning money is awesome. I think that being able to be rich, filthy rich, entirely amazingly rich, and notice that word filthy rich is definitely a judgment, is awesome. But what happens if that's attained with a great deal of human carnage on the pathway? So I ask you to consider the way in which you walk in your integrity as well. I would like to start from the bottom up, however, and I truly mean from the bottom up. Karen Klein was a bus monitor, and she was filmed June 21st, 2012. It is on YouTube and it goes again on my Facebook. I want you to hear some of how the children were talking to her. These look like they are about 10-year-olds and they are talking to this bus monitor with such disdain. Here we go. <laughs> 
get worse. It gets much worse, folks, and it goes on and on and on, and you can definitely hear the process that's going on in that particular bus situation. So uh, think about it. Where did the kids get to the idea that they could treat another human being like that? Where could they be so condescending to another human being that it was okay, that it was absolutely okay to say those sorts of things to someone who's there helping and volunteering to assist them so that they can go on a tour to probably some fun place where they just think that they are the awesomest and yet here they are treating someone badly. And that is the definition of a bully's sense of success. Um, It's very interesting that this also occurs on the other level where the teachers bully their kids. And it has come to my attention as a psychologist this very year, within the last few weeks, a teacher swearing and cursing at the kids, blaming them for all sorts of things that had gone on in the room wrong that he himself had caused complications for, and just absolute disdain for the emotional well-being and positive attitude that he should be creating in the classroom. And, of course, the kids being extremely intimidated, when asked why the child that was reporting this to me did not videotape this with their cell phone, they said that if our cell phone comes out to videotape, we will be suspended. Because as we all know, at one point, teachers were captured in these bullying moments by cell phones, and they wouldn't viral. And then, of course, that made the teachers a lot more responsive to having to be respectful all the way across the board. But how many teachers are like this? Not that many. How many kids are like that? Probably not that many, and of course it depends on the community and how they feel they should be able to get away with the circumstances of being able to harass another person. But does this, that's starting at the bottom. The kids that are being raised in our society where they see individuals getting away with that type of trolling, as they call it. And you're welcome to go to relationshipsatisfaction.com. I have a whole section there about bullies and how parents can help children as they face their own peers in bullying because that's part of this process as well. But I'm also really intrigued by Washington Post this uh, weekend when I was reviewing what was going on and the various comments they had. For example, this is just this weekend, this, this weekend, quote, lawmakers trade stocks and firms lobbying before their committees. Exclusive, a review by the Washington Post finds that almost one in every eight trades by members of Congress since 2007 have intersected with legislation. Not only is that illegal, not only have people gone to jail for this sort of activity, um, it, it is a complete violation of the trade. It means that the people who are setting the laws and dealing with these companies are the ones that are making the money off of their decisions while the rest of us lose money. It's completely in violation of the people that they are serving. But what will happen? Okay, let's look for a few other issues that are going on. Uh, Sandusky, Sandusky, verdict, neighbors releasing their emotions to say, how dare he molest those 45 out of 48 counts of children and then continue to deny it. How dare he do it? And look at the word molest, because he actually raped those children. He actually raped those kids. And because of kids, we say molest. So, and do we sit by? What do we do here? No, we cannot sit by. We have to be aware. Once again, adult to child, not having the integrity they should, that a child needs for trust. So where does a child learn it? because they have to survive in a situation where people may not treat them respectfully. What's the definition of success in that circumstance? Being able to bully back. One thing about the uh, video with the bus monitor is that she looks completely powerless, but she has to sit in that powerless position because she is not allowed to respond to the baiters that, uh, that bait her to respond in a way, and then they videotape her, and they videotape her in order to capture her being vile and disrespectful to the kids, and then that is what gets posted. Then she loses her reputation. So, again, where does all this come from? Right from the top. Now, I know I'm going to pick on Romney, and I'm going to pick on Obama, so please don't lace any sort of political positioning on me at this point in time. But we as a society, as citizens, need to take 
note. Mitt Romney, for example, is a financial company Bain Capital. It invested in a series of firms that specialized in relocating jobs done by American workers to new facilities in low-wage countries like China and India. This took place during the 15 years that Romney was actively involved in running Bain, which is a private equity firm that he founded. It owned companies that were pioneers in the practice of shipping work from the United States to overseas call centers and factories making computer components, according to the filings of the Security and Exchange Commission. Now, they can argue all they want that this has produced a lot of income in the United States because of the increased amount of revenue. They claim $80 billion of revenue in the United States as a consequence of sending these jobs overseas because of what has gone on with the investments and success of these businesses. And that these businesses would not have been successful if Bain had not supported these businesses' growth and the way they did their business by overseas. I completely understand how that these businesses would not be able to be competitive because of our own high salary income demands. At the same time, was that really the solution in the long-term look of things? And if Romney's willing to take the short range of making these type of solutions when fully we all knew that outsourcing was going to create massive complications for our economy in the United States. We knew it. It was not in the best interest of the mass amount of middle-income and lower-income individuals. So since we knew that, since Romney knew that, and he did it anyway and didn't look for alternative, powerful, creative alternatives that would support the increase of what was going on here, can we really justify those $80 billion? And where did that revenue growth go? Probably back overseas hiring more people for those businesses. I don't know. I'm sure Washington Post will allow us to be able to consider this yet again. After all, they were part of revealing lots of things. Watergate was just one such story that I lived through. But now let's go to Obama. Obama is brilliant. We are led to believe by the law review presidency of, of Harvard. No dummy gets that. He has been successful in so many different aspects of his career. He has been a community service servant. And yet, why in the world would he establish a bailout for companies that had misappropriated monies? Why would he bail out misappropriated companies? Okay, to save and rescue the last-ditch effort for the, 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 for the entire U.S.? Oh, absolutely. I understand that. And yet he did not require anything in writing that the banks with interest return the money to the American people. So without any sort of consequences, the banks take the money, they invest it. They are not needing, they're not forced to reinvest the money in the United States. They can outsource that money elsewhere. They can invest it elsewhere. They're also not needing to return the money within a certain amount of time with interest like any of the rest of us would be if we had to borrow money. We would be paying with top interest. In addition, these very same banks fraudulently placed lots of foreclosures and really decimating families. And yet, what did we do? How did Obama stop this? How did Obama return the money? Yes, I know he eventually stopped it. But was that soon enough? Was that clear enough thinking? Was that filled with integrity? Or was there something else that stopped him from putting the natural, reasonable actions in place to be able to service the American people? I would suggest not. That the definition of success for these people was very short-term in their mind. And again, I go back to David Orr, who says, the planet does not need more successful people, but it does desperately need peacemakers, healers, restorers, storytellers, lovers of every shape and form. It needs people who live well in their places. It needs people of moral courage willing to join the fight to make the world inhabitable, inhabitable and humane, and these needs have little to do with success as our culture has defined it. But let's press on. Let's go forward in this discussion because it doesn't stop there. And I know that you as listeners have many stories that also echo the complications associated to your everyday life and dealing with integrity. How many times have you been overcharged? 
how many times you have to call up all sorts of people who are billing you more than they should, including the cell phone companies, which find amazing ways and to to hide the money they shouldn't be charging you. Just recently with cops, I was told I wouldn't be charged a certain amount of money. I've been told that for months, and every month I have to call them up and remind them. And what's interesting is their notes don't show that I've called and don't show that the same violation has taken place repeatedly. That's cops. Well, let's move on to other stories that I've been able to procure. I know them to be true, and I know the individuals involved, and I know the evidence, and I'm sure you have yours as well. Power Nissan on Henry Boulevard um, near the 405 in the Los Angeles, California area. Lied to corporate headquarters because they created false record service notes so that when a consumer called in to the corporate headquarters, uh, the Power Nissan uh, in that region uh, had falsified the service records and what had been done to a car. In addition to multiple complications that had been worked on between this consumer and Power Nissan since June of last year to May of this year, Power Nissan employees on all sorts of ladders, from managers of different divisions, from service managers, lied to the consumer about the vehicle being prepared, being readied, what was wrong with the vehicle, why the mechanical service that was done that was inadequate had complications, making up all sorts of rationales and excuses. The final straw that broke the camel's back for this consumer was when she requested a service, a normal service for the brakes, shouldn't be a problem, was told that it had been test-driven, which it had not, had been told that it was ready for pickup, which it was not. And when the client with child, the customer with child, came to pick up the car, got in the car, and drove it, the brakes did not work. The brakes did not work. This consumer was within 50 yards of going on the freeway. Well, we've already lived with what Toyota did. We already know what sort of cover-ups took place with Toyota, which they deny to this day. We already know that people also tried to scam Toyota with these sorts of things as well. We understand that. But what was really troubling about this report is that Power Nissan told the consumers that the brakes did not work for X, Y, Z reasons and tried to blame it on the consumer, tried to blame it on a nail in the tire, which Nissan had actually delivered the car to the consumer with the nail in the tire. And the tire was completely unrelated to the complications, had tried to say that they had test-driven the car, which they had not, tried to blame it on some sort of way that things had to be reset inside the car over and over instead of saying that there was something wrong with the way it had been serviced. There was cover-up. The corporate uh, Nissan refused to look into it further. Power Nissan uh, was requested that Power Nissan make sure that those mechanics were properly educated. There was no verification that it took place. The consumer was promised a buyback of the car, which did take place. However, the monies were not returned in the time frame that was promised, and the consumer had to go to considerable efforts to make sure that there was no violation of that as well. Is that service, was that necessary? No, absolutely not. If the mechanics had merely said we messed up, glad no one was hurt, everything would have been honest. But are they terrified of being sued? Would lawyers get in there and have a heyday with it? Yes. So can they not be honest because of the way people misuse the legal system? Possibly. There's always two sides of the story. How about American Home Shields? An interesting insurance to get for yourself to help you with your appliances so you don't have to pay so much for repairs. But they have an interesting scam as well. They hire the least competent and least expensive individuals to come out to the house. And if there's a complication that the, the individuals could actually repair, if it's not under the service contract, they'll refuse or, worse yet, you know, you can understand if it's under the service contract, they can refuse to help out. But you could always pay them, right? Extra, they're out of the house already. You're already paying for a service visitation. But in addition to that, if they can fix it and they can excuse the complication on something not under the service contract, it will not fix the item. So you get another service contractor out. 
that's unrelated to American Home Shield. They tell you what the complication is, which was completely within the contract. They repair it completely outside of American Home Shield, and American Home Shield is not having to pay for that. So when they're confronted on that, they read you the rules, and that's as far as they go. Well, we could go on and on and on, and I'm quite sure that you have your horror stories as well. These are just one among many that I'm sure you would be able to contribute, and I hope you do. I'm looking at my Facebook right now, eager to hear your stories about what has occurred. However, now, since we've all experienced these sorts of things, since it has become such an insidious part of our culture, what do you do as a consumer to ensure that other consumers do not have to live with these types of moments? Because if you address the issue and go the energy forward to do so, other consumers will not be treated in a similar fashion. That woman on that bus, if she had had one other adult be able to take a picture of the video and say we will report you to your children, the children would have stopped. One other adult could have assisted and stopped the circumstances. The parents could have assisted and stopped the circumstances. And it would be very interesting to find out how the children responded. One other adult. Wonder if you are that one other individual that could intervene so that subsequent consumers or individuals would not have to endure the lack of integrity. And now that we're facing election, what are we going to say to our politicians about what we will put up with? I remember when I was traveling Peru, um, doing some various community service and visitations in Peru, studying with a number of different shamans and teachers and sociologists and psychiatrists and uh, working with what was going on in that country. I was so flabbergasted when I found out that the president at the time, uh, Nagasaki, I'm thinking, I can't remember, I'm sorry, on that, had actually stolen, after the second election, had stolen a large portion of valuables from the government and fled to Japan. He was Japanese in, in race. But he was, um, in my understanding, he was born and raised in Peru, but he fled to Japan with all of the riches, and everybody knew about it. Prior to doing that, there had been a law established that anybody that had had a crime within five years would be forgiven of it, regardless of what the crime was. Interesting, the same man returned to Peru after five years and ran for re-election. Now, this sounds completely crazy, but when I spoke to the people in Peru that were well-educated, they looked at me and they said, but you've reelected George Bush Jr., who knowingly lied to the American people. I was also on a train that was um, headed toward Lake Kitikaka, and one of the Germans, because it's a very interracial experience and uh, intercultural, inter-country, uh, amazing group of people, one of the Germans came up to me and said, uh, prior, this was on a previous visit, prior to uh, George Bush being, Jr. being reelected, he said, we understand you making a mistake once, but will you make a mistake again? I thought that was very thought-provoking that in Europe they were seeing George Bush Jr. as someone that truly lacked integrity and that we were having to live out the end of his first term. But what would we do about the second? What will we say to our politicians? Now, I don't know which side of the fence you're on, and I'm not letting you know which side of the fence I'm on, even by what I said about George Bush Jr. But what I will establish is that you must vote with a sense of asking them to truly be people of integrity. Our tolerance of the lies, even during the campaign, the exaggerations, distortions which are pitted in our direction, should not occur. And if we don't tolerate it, perhaps we can actually decrease it. We do have power. And what's so interesting is that now with the Internet, you can go on any reporting of better business practices and you can completely let any consumer know and any consumer can go on the Internet and find your comments about what has gone on. And, yes, multiple complaints, for example, are laced against the cell phone companies. 
Now you call up the cell phone companies or you call up the television cable companies and they say, yes, yes, there are millions of complaints against every company, which is true. But you can always go beyond that as well. And I think that we need to not sit powerlessly worried about how we are going to be bantered about if we stand up for a certain ideal, um, but actually stand up with a sense of what our power is, exploring what the options are in terms of making a voice against the maltreatments against consumers or against uh, middle class, lower class, or any individuals knowing that they are acting in an illegal fashion. So do you have that type of integrity and character? Do I have that type of integrity and character? I'm asking myself the exact same question on a daily basis. How do I get away with little things? How do I justify that? How do I not call my politicians into being full of integrity? Would I have stood up for Karen Klein on that bus and making sure those children stopped what they did? I remember one time when my children were very young. My youngest was still in my arms at uh, nine months as we were traveling over to uh, the big island and going to visiting the volcanoes. And some people were pouring trash into the canyon. And the tra- it clearly had said that these were sacred grounds not to be pilfered in any way, shape, or form, not to be uh, trashed. And these individuals said that this was part of their ceremony to push trash into the canyon. And while I understand ceremonial gestures, in fact, was even studying in awe that they were willing to put this sort of ancestral practice into place. I was appalled when they thrusted trash into the canyon. All the other tourists around that were also quite intrigued and touched by the ritual were suddenly appalled at the idea that this was being pilfered. And as a consequence, uh, I was the only one that stood up with my nine-month-old in hand and said, you cannot trash this. And I quickly ran to the front gate to report what had been taking place, and those people zipped on by. They were uh, clearly discouraged from further doing it. Was I intent? Absolutely. <laughs> Am I intent? Absolutely. Are the times when I shy away from standing up for things that I know need to be stood up for? Yes, absolutely. How about you? So when I have this wonderful opportunity to talk to Ken Owens, who has um, authored this book called Branding Character, I wanted to ask that question very clearly, how many people actually walk in their integrity? Now, his book, Branding Your Character, is more about walking with integrity and making sure that your character is the one that stands forward as you sell yourself. And he had been a salesman for multi-million dollar companies and had to walk in his own integrity or face when he was tempted not to or face when the companies he represented were not walking in their character. Nonetheless, as difficult as it is, with all the consequences in place, isn't it heroic to do so? Well, I'm going to play my interview with Ken Owen. One, to give you a break. Two, to encourage you to pick up his book because he talks about how to turn the corner of your own life in terms of living with your own integrity. And here we go with Ken Owen being interviewed at the International Hypnosis Federation. So we'll talk a little bit about that organization. I hope you enjoy it. Living the dynamic life with Ken Owen. Oh, this is so funny. I have to say that this is so interesting. There was a little bit of sound on the back of it. What? Ken Owen. Well, your human potential is set enough. The first thing you need to do, Ken, is this. You need to tell me how people contact you, and then we go into your story. All right, they can contact me on my website. It's www.dthekenowens.com. Ken, K-E-N? K-E-N-O-W-E-N-S.com. Is there a phone number you want people to have? No. Wow. All right. 
and location? Las Vegas, the entertainment capital of the world. There we go. I know that Brotson is going to be in Las Vegas down the road. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Yeah. Another whole story. Yes, another, another one there, too. <laughs> okay. Ken, what are you all about? You're here at International Hypnosis Federation among all these healers and people who think outside the box. What is your box that you think outside of, and who are you? Uh, probably don't have a box, probably more of a circle. Okay. You know, it, you know, it's, it's continual, and, and you need to be outside of that. And, you know, if you think of a circle, you think of a ball, and you just bounce around and have a good time, too. And um, this is just a great group of people. I've been coming here since the very first um, International Hypnosis Federation Conference, and it brings together a group of like-minded individuals who are able to share ideas and to share resources back and forth for the continued success of, of not only the profession, but also the individuals. Now, are you a hypnotist? Or what was your, what yes, my background is in hypnotherapy. I've been doing uh, clinical hypnotherapy for about 17 years. And of course, living in Las Vegas, you have to do stage hypnosis. Too. So I do the I do the fun stage shows too for about the last seven years, um, and based out of Las Vegas. Wow, you have to go see these hypnotists. You know, they put a lot of bad press because of all the amazing, crazy things that happen. But tell us more about the the way you understand people's minds, bodies, the influence. Well, I use the stage show as an introduction into what hypnosis can do for you. And I say, you know, we're going to explore the body-mind connection and mind dynamic, and we're actually going to be using the entertainment, the fun, the humor to explore the mind. And that's that's what we do in a stage show. And yes, you know, you can make people, you know, pluck like chickens and bark like dogs, but it also allows them and shows them that they have that inherent power to make all of their wishes, dreams, and desires come true, and to heal, and to heal from the inside out, whatever they need to do with that same power. Okay, now I hear these same statements from people who are optimistic and who believe in all sorts of different things, but what's your proof? Give us the proof, the story, the narrative, the oh my experience, God. There's, 17 years there's, there's so many of them. Coming through a very myriad of lists. Yeah, one of, one of the funniest ones was a stage show that I did. I was uh, the featured entertainer for a college up in uh, Wisconsin, and it was a it was a um, a seminar for college students, and I was the closing keynote entertainer. And just before the show, this kid came up to me and said, "Are you the hypnotherapist?" I said, "Yeah." He's like, "Well, I really want to get hypnotized, but I but I don't think that I can do it." And and um, you know, should I? Shouldn't I? What should I do? I said, "You know what? It, I ask for volunteers, and if you want to be hypnotized, when I call for volunteers." just come on and do it and if you don't then enjoy the show in the audience and sure enough he was the first one up on stage and it's amazing those people that think they can't be hypnotized are the ones that go out the deepest and the quickest and the fastest and when I hypnotized him he went out so quick and so hard that he fell on the stage and we were in the convention center in Green Bay, Wisconsin and the stage was one of those portable stages and it was about four feet off the ground so it's all hollow underneath so when he hit that stage it sounded like a gunshot echoing through that whole auditorium and people went, you could just hear them gasp because he went so limp and so loose and he just fell right down he went out so hard that I couldn't use him in the show. I just let him lay on the ground and sleep in a, in a hypnotic trance during the whole show. And I just would step over him and I would point to him and make jokes about him because he needed... He need, yeah, he was a show in himself. He, but from a therapist's point of view, he needed that intense deep inner healing at that time so that's why I let him be there and be in that energy and be in that depth of trance so that he could rejuvenate his body and his mind from the inside I don't know I want to have you hypnotize me right here in front of all the listeners, can you do that while I'm conducting this? Oh, you're hypnotized every day Yeah, folks, you hear that 
We're hypnotized every day. Um, you know, we, we, we hear the term highway hypnosis, you know, when you're driving in your car and all of a sudden you're at your exit and you don't know how you got there. Yeah, you're in a semi-trance when you're driving your car on a freeway. How do we use this to heal? How do hypnotherapists use this to heal people, emotionally, physically, emotionally? It basically allows us to, to put our conscious mind aside, put our conscious mind that has all of our judgments, all of our critical thinking, that brings all of the negativity of things that tells our mind that we can't do certain things. It kind of puts that to sleep for a while and lets our subconscious mind come out. And our subconscious mind is pure love um, and it's healing energy and and it's what guides us automatically. It's what makes us breathe. It's, it's what keeps us um, our heart beating. We don't have to think about doing those things and our subconscious mind guides all of that and um, when we can get in and and implant a suggestion into the into the um, subconscious mind, it sticks. It takes whatever is told as truth. And that's why even during a stage show, if I tell your subconscious mind that you are a chicken, you will actually then turn into a chicken and start clucking like a chicken. Or if I say that you're you know, the greatest bodybuilder in the world, even though you might weigh 400 pounds, um, you're, you are going to believe that you are the greatest bodybuilder or the greatest ballerina or the next Chippendale or, you know, since I'm in Las Vegas, the next, you know... Uh, the next girl that's going to be working at, uh, you know, at Cheetah's nightclub, too, swinging on a pole. <laughs> Use your imagination there, folks. Okay, his book is called Branding Your Character. What is Living a Dynamic Life? Yeah, I took um, many years of hypnosis and uh, hypnotherapy and counseling and um, my background in corporate sales and marketing, and I kind of blended those two things together. And it's the first time that a book on character is written from a business standpoint instead of a religious standpoint. And, you know, products, products have their own brand. Um, services have their own brand. Corporations spend billions of dollars every year to brand a positive image for their, for their product. And when we take those same principles and apply them to us as an individual, we realize that our character is our brand recognition of who we are in the community and determines our standing within that community. And, um, you know, do you want to have a great brand recognition of, you know, Johnson's baby powder that, you know, that powders the butts of, of little babies and does well, you know, to prevent diaper rash every day for millions of little babies all over the world? Or do you want the brand recognition and the character of, you know, like a Bernie Madoff who ended up being a, you know, a scamming criminal and, you know, stole billions of dollars from, you know, elderly people? You can decide which one of those two that you want, and it's based on your character and your brand recognition. So some of the names of your chapters say a lot of that. Characters in space is number one. Leverage your brand is number two. Can you tell us some actual stories where you see the difference from someone decided to take his character seriously, brand it differently, and having it have the type of impact that you want Stories come to mind in life. You know, we, we, we see that every day in, in news. And I mean, the news typically always tries to find the negative, but once in a while when you really look at the news, you can see some positive that happens. And, and I know this week, all of those tornadoes that have gone through the Midwest, you know, and you, and you look on national news right now, there's people that are that are taking shopping carts of food from their, you know, from their basements and going around in shopping carts and, and just giving themselves and the food and the water to other people around them. And that, that you know, that, that shows character. That really shows character. So we're going to do a presentation at 4 o'clock. We're talking about reaching the children. I'm going to be talking about characters and children and how a very active kindness is something that's kind of lost uh, because we're so used to receiving and getting and being taken care of. And we certainly cultivate that in our children in this logic community. It's called the United States of America. But that's not necessarily character building. What is character building? You know, character building takes time. 
and it takes effort. And time, what type of effort? Well, I mean, if you're saying change your character, how? You can't do it overnight. Okay, but how? You can't do it overnight. It takes, you know, it takes a time of learning, of self-introspection, of of determining how and what you want to be and what you want to do with your life, following through with your principles of, of, of who you feel that you are and where you want to go. When we look around us, a character used to be something that, yeah, it used to be everything years ago, and then over the past couple of decades, it's really kind of gone downhill, and and I talk in the book that, you know, parents need to be our role models for our kids. Our kids today are going to be the leaders of tomorrow, and we really need to get in those kids' minds today and kind of reprogram them a bit and give them some hope and some direction, and that's got to come from our parents from the teachers and from our politicians. One of the reasons that our world is in the in the shape that it is is because business leaders today and politicians today have no sense of character. Right. Self respect. My kids see it. Right. And and we see that every day in our like it's normal. Yes. Right. Right. And it's something to seriously address. Yeah, it is. Does your book tell people how to do it? Yes, it does. Step by step, there's um, each chapter has some self-help questions at the end, and along with some personal growth quotes, and a couple uh, real-life stories in the back as well. And the book, um, Branding Your Character, is available on Amazon, at Amazon.com. Nice. Yeah. Very, very So, yeah, good. everybody can find it on Amazon. Okay, folks, I'm going to put this on the website so you can see it, and also on uh, bookenergy.weekly.com, as well as you'll be able to see and get a hold of it. Yeah. Thank you. It's Thank been a you. pleasure. Thanks for being pleasure. here. We've enjoyed it. We had, we had lunch across the way, but we I did. waved, and that was it. That was, was too it. Far away it so I'm glad you sat down. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank Have a great afternoon. Thank you very much. Okay, that's another healer. The person thinks that's the boss. I find it really intriguing that uh, Kent Owens has actually gone from a business orientation where he was a salesperson advocating for the well-being of a, a business uh, you know, for consumers to buy products and so forth and so on. And he decided as he progressed in life to go into a healing profession because he got rather burned out by having to deal with his own sense of integrity and scrupulousness um, and and having to look at himself rather going into a position of a healer. So in his resolution of this, in terms of David Oren's quote, he becomes a healer. I'm a storyteller. We are telling stories today in order to reveal, in order to put the pink line in the middle of the room and say, there it is. And there are other storytellers as well. There's an interesting site called Fraud Adventures. What I appreciate about Fraud Adventures is that they're basically trying to make sure that individuals do not get caught into frauds as happens against the elderly. For example, uh, a recent event that has come to my attention, so again, I know the circumstances to be true and real, um, and I know the individuals involved, and uh, someone called up and told an elderly woman that her grandson was caught and that they pretended to be the grandson, and there was a bad phone connection, so somewhat difficult, had entirely knew how to get the name of the grandson out of this elderly person, asked for thousands of dollars to be sent off, and out of fear for the well-being of her own grandson, she started to do that, and thankfully the bank's, so the lenders so up and so on would not let her do it because they knew about the fraud, the fraud, fraudulent individuals. In tracing the phone number, the phone company was wonderfully helpful in trying to find out where that phone was located. The phone number was located to an exact address. The police were called and the police refused to do anything because they said this happens so much. I appreciate the book, um, Tipping Point, and uh, Malcolm Caldwell so very carefully describes how in New York City when there was a tolerance of vandalism, more vandalism occurred, so that there's a retrogression that takes place when we tolerate even the smallest and when the smallest of egregiousness and when we don't tolerate even the smallest amount there tends to be a, 
a bringing up of society, a, a consciousness, a, a willingness to not tolerate those sorts of things. And then the crime rate reduced in New York. And the story that he tells in Tipping Point is really quite poignant about being able to make a difference. Now, Ken Owens, in his in his uh, conclusion, the interview there, says that this is a very slow process. And it can be a slow process. However, if you get the critical mass of individuals, which is not really, it's, what is it? It's like 1% of the square root of one of the population involved. I don't know exactly what critical mass equation is, but it's an extremely small amount of people um, to all voice the same concerns and to refuse to be okay with the egregiousness egregiousness of a business or a politician or this sort of treatment or getting the police to follow up on these types of frauds. If there is a critical mass of citizens that say, no, we won't tolerate this, then there is a shift that takes place. And the shift does not necessarily take that long. It's getting the critical mass of individuals to say, no, we won't take this anymore. And I appreciate that Fraud Avengers at fraudavengers.org have attempted to try to organize this. And you can read the document at fraudavengers.org. That's their attempt to raise the consciousness of the critical mass. This is my attempt to raise the consciousness of the critical mass. Uh, Let's talk about some other frauds in addition to this. The legal system, isn't it interesting that our judicial system would have to be called on its fraudulent activity? But we know it to be true. None of us are the least bit surprised about that. And yet there's a certain amazing tolerance over it. So again, I will tell you, I will be the storyteller in this. It's one of the vehicles of getting this out um, in uh, 2005, 2006. Uh, this uh, event took place in the Los Angeles Family Court where a commissioner who has since lost her position um, fraudulently told a psychologist to make sure to find the evaluations in a certain direction, a certain skew, so that the psychologist, if she wanted to keep her financial connection with the legal system as being a court evaluator for the family court system had to appease this commissioner and wrote an evaluation without regard to the facts, did not appropriately interview, did not act in accord with the American Psychological Association Ethics Committee, did not act in accord with the ethics concern of the California Board of Social Sciences or the Psychology Board, and um, is potentially up for losing license because of this, but that's about all. It's an extremely rigorous process to bring a psychologist up to lose a license for these sorts of things because these are very complicated. But in addition, the commissioner actually told the psychologist to find in that direction. In addition, the commissioner made judgments without actually ever interviewing the parties involved and made determinations and declarations that were not factually based at all. In addition, the commissioner made it so that the children involved were exposed to further child abuse that was physical and verbal in nature. And this is all documented. And this is in the legal system. And when the voice was made of the persons that were involved, the adults that were involved, to a particular board, a particular review, It did lead, but within two years of investigation to this commissioner being taken off of her position. However, it was done with such diplomacy that no one knew it was because she had acted egregiously. Um, I think that we could go on in this long list. We've, We've attacked the politicians. I have attacked the court system, attacked who decide to be fraudulent on the phone lines, attack the phone companies, the, the cell phones, uh, mischarges, the television, we've, we've the, the Nissan Power, we could go on. These are all verifiable uh, in, in stories. These are stories. Our news media is our resource for revealing these stories, but they do no good whatsoever if we don't coalesce around the stories, the facts, the information, the events, and create a critical mass where we say, no, we are done with living in a society that lacks integrity. 
Here's an interesting twist, however. Our culture has shifted more and more and more into lacking integrity. You can absolutely see the the movement down that process. However, we could go back into the United States history and understand that one of the main people of the Declaration of Independence really was more eager to not have to have taxes levied against his products because he wanted to sell them at a cheaper price than the British could. And um, was he really there because he so believed in the independence of the United States uh, of America, the 13 colonies? Well, we don't know, but he definitely invested in terms of his own business sense of what he wanted for his companies. So it's a kind of like a, a recognition that there's purity in human nature is something that we have to come to terms with in terms of how are we going to evolve ourselves. That's one reason I found Ken Owens' interview, even though it was off point in terms of he talking about the healing process of hypnotherapy, it was on point because he's talking about healing the human character so that we can evolve to having a society where we can look at each other and know that we walk in integrity and genuineness. So what we want from our politicians, our businesses, is it what we're willing to demand from them and is it what we are willing to demand of ourselves. So it's a call of consciousness in that regard. Um, it is also a way of saying to ourselves, who among us are the peacemakers, the healers, the restorers, the storytellers, or the lovers? Who among us are those who are courageous enough to join the fight to ensure that we maintain and increase the habitability and the humaneness, the humanity of our culture? Who among us will put that as the definition of what it means to live successfully as opposed to how much money we can have at the end of the day? Who among us can do that? So here we are. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to know what your thoughts are in this regard. So contact me on Facebook at Dr. Carol Francis Show or at drcarolfrancis.com. Don't keep silent. Advocate for yourself, for your position. You will have an impact on the consumers behind you. On your children, you will have an impact because they will have to face the politicians that we put in place. They will have to live through their own water gates, their own sensitivities along these lines. And will we assist them in that process? Well, this is Dr. Carol Francis. Let me know. Give me responses, and I will make sure to talk about you on our next radio show. Signing off for now, best of days. Remember, yes, stress can be had in facing the tiger, but stress can also be had in avoiding the tiger and remaining a victim and letting other people be a victim in the trail of the tiger as well. Take care. Bye-bye.